district attorney in Portland's a uh, really uh, nitwit. But anyway, they're they're under federal now, so they're not getting out. A U N American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human God to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human God, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar? The public or the Godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dean Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condon, Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Uh, last week, we had beautiful weather here, and now the temperatures dropped 20, 30 degrees, uh, lots of rain, uh, snow in Colorado, and then we have yeah. fires where Dee Dee is all the way up and down California. Lots of evidence, by the way, uh, strange, strange directed energy evidence of, of maybe weapons being used in these fires, but we can talk about that after the presentation of part two of uh, Patrick Riot's compendium that uh, really encapsulates his research in a very succinct uh, way, uh, left hand, right hand, coming together, part one, part two. Uh, and uh, Pat, if you want to share also that coincidental, that a lot of coincidences have driven your research over the years, but the uh, kind of really astounding uh, revelation that just happened over the weekend for that link that you shared regarding the hidden tax on humanity. P pretty amazing story. Thanks for coming back, Pat. And, and oh, thank you. First off, chapter two. Thank, thank you, Fred, and thank you, Dee and Steve. And there is another name out there which I, my, my old brain doesn't remember, and I apologize. He's not here much. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair. I still should be thanking him just the same out of courtesy. Um, 
let me let me apologize at the outset, which I hate like hell to do. Um, this second second show is going to take a different tack than intended, and it only changed actually maybe early today because of what you just spoken about, Fred, which I talked to you about earlier today. Um, I I wanted this second show. First of all, everyone needs to understand however many of you are listening, everybody needs to understand I got into this in 2003 and I probably within a year seized upon, uh, I began researching the income tax and I seized upon an enemy of the world, essentially, um, that formed or was responsible for the formation of the United States Federal Reserve in 1913. That's the Rothschild family. The Rothschild family in 1913 was about... um, eight, maybe ten generations deep, and they had learned how to use debt as a weapon instead of howitzers, carbines, machine guns, and other such weapons that traditionally uh, run a war. They use debt. Um, and I was going to take you, there is a break point. They have a seminal break point in their existence, which happened in 1913. In 1913, they knew in a nine, I'm sorry, in 19, um, 19, 19, 1897. In 1897, they knew, they anticipated what they would have in 1913. They knew that in 1913 or thereabouts in that five-year window, they would, in fact, finally establish what they have been trying to do since before the beginning of the 1800s. They knew that they would establish a Federal Reserve the United States Federal Reserve. They don't own it. They don't have ownership in it. As many people might believe, various people do have ownership, but the Rothschilds are not there. They're passive regulators, if we can call them anything else. But they knew they would get it done, and in 1897, they called the First World Zionist Congress in anticipation of this. So my shows, two shows, were going to be up to... 1913, with the formation of the Federal Reserve, or if we would, we'd go to 1897 in the First World Zionist Congress. And we would deal with the Rothschild family from the 1700s up to that 1897, 1913 period of time. And we did that, the last show, as much or as good as I could within an hour, hour and 15 minutes. I mean, you can't deal with a century and a, a fraction of a family's life and their inspiring and effective uh, attack on nations of the world, most notably the United States. You can't do it justice in an hour, but I tried to do as much as I could in that fraction of time. Tonight I was going to do from 1897 forward, which would be from the First World Zionist Congress, with the 24 lectures given by Natty Rothschild on August 29th of 1897, in, of all places, Basel, Switzerland. Basel, Switzerland being, oddly enough, in 1897, the home to the First World Zionist Congress, but 1930, coincidentally, home to the Bank of International Settlements. Everything's got something to do with banks and debt, banks and debt, debt and banks, debt and banks. And the reality is debt's used as a weapon by the Rothschild family. So I was going to deal with forward of that time until 
actually earlier today because of what I had learned over this weekend. As I said to Fred earlier today, I went to my office on, I guess it was Saturday morning about 11 o'clock. And I came home, I guess it was 5.30, 6 o'clock. Turned my computer on after I made myself a cocktail. And a screen popped up. And I looked and I said, what, whoa, 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 what's this? Whoa, whoa, what's this? And I'm saying, you know, I'm pretty sure what I leave on the screen before I left. And I have about four documents that I'm in process of uh, putting together. And I think I had something I was researching uh, power generators for hurricane season so you can have a, uh, a silent generator power in your house when all the trees bring all the lines down for your neighbors. And that was about the extent of what I remember leaving on my, my internet site. And I, I see this thing and I'm saying, Wait a minute! Wait a minute! They're talking about they're talking about Trump. They're talking about talking about Obama. And I'm looking, I'm reading, and I'm saying to myself, this doesn't. I don't know anything about this. It was the website called the Hidden Tax on Humanity, and it's easy to find. Just put down Hidden Tax on Humanity, and you'll find you'll find it in your Google. Well, the the man who is the author of or the maintainer of this site. His name is Mel, M-E-L. That's his middle name. His first name is James, but he goes by Mel. Well, his last name is Rockefeller. And I said, wait a minute, Mel Rockefeller, James Rockefeller. And I'm looking at the web. The website's fantastic. It's really very well done. It's easy to read and follow and easy to understand. But the information on there was identical to what's taken me almost 17 years to research. I'm reading this, and then I, as I read it over the past few days since Saturday night, uh, his research goes back to about 2009 and 10, actually earlier than that, but the website 9 and 10 forward up to right now, today. And I'm saying, now, James Rockefeller, so I immediately go and I say, which one of the Rockefeller people are this? I, I research, 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 research. And in, in his, his site, he says his father was Nelson Rockefeller. Well, I look and I'm saying, Nelson Rockefeller. Nelson Rockefeller had two wives. His first wife had a couple of daughters, and then his second wife had two sons. And I think there was another boy in the first marriage. None of them were named, named James. And I'm saying, wait a minute, who is this guy? So I stayed up till probably 2.30 in the morning till Sunday morning, which happened to be a, a big date for me, which I won't tell you what it was, but it was a big date. It was an important and happy date. And I couldn't find anything on Nelson Rockefeller with having a son called James, quote unquote, Mel Rockefeller. And I'm saying, this is weird. Well, it was probably about, and that, that's all I did. I was going to do a lot more research and, and preparation and, and formation notes for tonight's show, and I, I did none of it. But I got so caught up in this, and everything I read on this website coordinated word for word the research I've spent almost two decades on. I'm saying to myself, what in the world is happening? This doesn't make any sense. 
who is this person? And parts of it relative to him being stalked led me to believe this is a paranoid psychotic. This is a crazy person. Well, let me pause here for a moment. I did send, I think it was 106 pages to Fred today in a PDF file that if anyone listening cares to get into and read, because I'm going to get into this in a lot more graphic manner, in a, in a way I really don't want to, but I will. But if you want, you can go and download it. Fred, I'm sure, or Steve will make it available for downloads. And I have a fear about it being widespread but it's something that needs to be widespread. The more I read about what Mel wrote and who he was engaged with and his involvement with the Bushes and his involvement with the Obama and the various uh, individuals that were involved with Obama, et cetera, and going back into the, actually he does take, take touch into the 1970s, but most of his information is from the late 90s, early 20s, 2000s forward. Uh, it's right on the money. He does not hate the Jews. He speaks of the Jews much like I do, which are their people. They're human beings. That's what he calls them, which we should all call each other. We're human beings. The Jews, certain Jews, been at work over 100 effing years implementing total control over the United States. And I have come to that conclusion years ago and continued to refine it. And it was a tedious, laborious effort to reach the point where I could say the Jews are not involved, but the Jews and Israel, more importantly, controls our government in its entirety. That's a, that's a ridiculous claim, but it's provable. And this man is the first person that I have ever seen on the Internet. The Internet, dig, digitally we live in a digital world. It's a totally different world that any of us grew up in. We grew up in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. No, this isn't those times. These times are different. Our children are living in a different time. We're watching the pandemic make everything virtual. We're watching the, 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 the commercial real estate market collapse in the next, next six to ten years. It is going into the toilet. They're going to have to convert these shopping centers into apartments, private residences, golf courses. Because everything is changing. Everything. And it's digital more than it's the pandemic. The pandemic's only bringing it to light earlier. So we live in a digital world, and when you find somebody like what I found, which is James Mel, quote-unquote, Rockefeller, you become interested because of what he's saying. And he's saying very cogent, very temperate, very easily understood things, but with greater detail than any I have ever discovered in my 17, 18 years of research. It was an awesome experience, which has caused me to change tonight's presentation. Now, I'm 20 minutes into tonight's presentation. I really don't want to go more than 9.45, and I'll probably run a little bit over into some questions. I have information that will crush the Rockefeller family, 
more importantly, crush Israel. That's an easy-to-make claim by 100 million people who have watched Rothschild, gone down rabbit warren after rabbit warren. I can only tell you I have the information. Mel Rockefeller, James Mel Rockefeller, doesn't have the three words in the document that I have. But what he's got is awesome. And it backs up and accommodates all of what I have done over 17 years. Now, what's James Mel Rockefeller saying? He's essentially going back to the fact that he is an illegitimate child of Nelson Rockefeller from New York State that shacked up with anybody that had a lack of a penis. That's about as raw and as nice as I can say it. Nelson Rockefeller, with all his money and stature, had one problem. And that was any woman that was walking around, she was a target. And she was a happy target because he was very respectful and all of the things that might be associated with a normal relationship, but it was not a normal relationship, Nelson Rockefeller was guilty of. If it hadn't been for that, he might have actually gotten to be president after he left the governorship of New York. This man, James Mel Rockefeller, who is the illegit- one of the illegitimate children, it took me until, I think it was today's Thursday, it took me until yesterday to finally get to the language in his very ample website that says what he is. And he knows people in high places. He is sending letters to all of these people in high places. They know him. And he gets no reaction out of them for a reason. They are owned, lock, stock, and barrel by the state of Israel. If our leadership is owned, lock, stock, and barrel by the state of Israel, we, you, we, all of us, wherever we are, in our hovel, in our home, on our ranch, in our luxurious mansion, it makes no difference. We are owned, lock, stock, and barrel. George Soros, a Jew, a bad Jew, a Greek Jew, who claims to be anti-Semitic, who claims to be anti-Israel, is Rothschild's front man in the United States. He's 90 years old. He just dropped $17 billion into his foundation, the Open Sources Foundation. They are working overtime to undermine the constitutional government that we call the United States. And I gotta tell you, they're almost there. They're almost there. COVID, as we know it, would not exist if Hillary Clinton had been elected. I can't tell you that I know for sure how COVID is here. I think I do know, but it's, it's suspect, it's conjecture. It's from Charles Lieber. Who was a, who is the biology or the, the, the chemistry chair at Harvard University, and for the past seven or ten years has been paid fifty thousand dollars a month by the Chinese communist Chinese government to work in the Wuhan virus laboratory in China. And I firmly believe Mr. Lieber, short for Lieberman, has in fact planted the virus out into China without China's blessing. I think he did it on his own. 
not really totally on his own, because when we get into analyzing what Rothschild has done for two centuries, they do false flag wars. They're not bankers. They lend money to people so they can extricate themselves or win a war. They start the war so they can come to the prince or the king or the president or wherever it is it's needed, like in fact to Lincoln, and lend money to fight the Civil War that they in fact initiated, that they in fact started. So Mr. Rothschild is just a warrior using debt as a weapon. Mel, James Mel Rockefeller, doesn't know all of what I've just said in the past few moments, but by God, that man knows a great deal of the fundamentals of how Rothschild was controlling, trying to control members of the Rockefeller family, couldn't control his father, Nelson Rockefeller. He firmly believes that the Rothschilds killed his father, Nelson Rockefeller, which caught my attention like, holy Christmas. That's new news to me. I didn't know anything about that. I thought he just died in a sack with a 25-year-old girl that he bought a townhouse for, which he might have. But on the other side of that coin, it's more likely that Rothschild did kill him because Mr. Rockefeller couldn't be controlled because he had his own money. He had his own independence. But when you go through Mr. Mel or James Mel Rockefeller's writings, which is on the website that I hope you all come and claim to download, you will go through a litany, and more than a litany. I mean, there are, there are so many people. Tom Cotton, who is a really nice guy that you'll watch as a Republican senator, this guy, that guy, nice people. He connects these people to the Jews who are here in the United States working on behalf of the state of Israel to make sure whether it's persuasive or it's money or it's both, that people like Tom Cotton do what's necessary to make Israel happy. Our country suffers. Our people are screwed. We are killed. We are laboriously used paying our taxes to support a U.S. military that is virtually totally under the control of the state of Israel. If you go to this website or you download PDF file that Fred today has and you begin to read this thing, I hope you have a sense of intellectual curiosity that says, oh, wait a minute, this cannot possibly be true. And then after you've spent another two hours reading point to point to point, if you have the intellectual curiosity enough to see how bad your children and their children are going to be affected by these sons of bitches in Israel and what they're going to do to this country incrementally, slowly, at the speed of a glacier, unseen, I hope you stand up and say, wait a minute, this has got to stop. What I found and what was on my website, well, my computer, Saturday evening, last, this last Saturday, is, is not shocking. It's, it's unbelievably incredible. I don't know any better way to describe that. But something else happened. In my research over these last 24 hours, I have managed to speak to James Mel Rothschild. We began to compare notes. And I complimented him. And he said, I think it's my responsibility 
to alert. We reached a point in the conversation he realized I am not an enemy. He understands where I'm coming from at my advanced age. age. He shared a confidentiality with me. Because I was desperate, I said, we're done. We're finished. Now, as he calls himself, he said, well, most if not all of what I've written on my website demonstrates that. But currently, that's not true. I said, what do you mean it's not true? Everything I see and everything I personally have researched tells me we're done. Stick a fork in it. This country is now under the control of Rothschild. Call it what you like, whether it's Israel, Jews individually or collectively. It's Rothschild. And we are now going to begin a very long decline to where our children and our grandchildren are going to either be murdered because they're not Jews or put into slavery of some sadistic, disgusting kind of slavery. And Mel said, I don't think that's going to happen. I said, well, how can you say that? He says, there are approximately 32 to 3,500 people that I have managed to put together. We call it the American group. The American group? He says, the American group. He said, they now know everything that you and I are talking about, a lot more than what you know and what I know. And they are all embedded in our government and in our agencies. And they're working alongside people who are working to deter or to defer or to divert or whatever we are as a nation into something it was never intended to be. He said, whether it's indictments or outright murder, he says, over this next five years, they will take place. He said, we are now attacking them in the same fashion that we have been attacked over the last hundred years. We're clandestine. We have leadership. He said, who? And he says, I can't tell you that. He says, I'm not able to reveal that. That's something you may never, ever get to know. But we have begun to use the same tactics that have been used against us over this last hundred plus years. So I'm lost. I I listened, and I was very very depressed at the beginning of the conversation, and I left the conversation feeling better. I also know how how well these people have infected our country and they're involved in our country to the thousands, not to the few hundreds or the 3,200s. And I can't see that this is going to change things. But I will tell you, this man in his late 60s feels extremely comfortable. One of the things I see as a detriment, he and I spoke about it, is what's called the SAM, S-A-Y-A-N, SAM. A SAN is a singular in SANIM, S-A-Y-A-N-I-M, SANIM, is plural. I'll take you back to the movie, The Godfather, written by Mario Puzo, to a point in time when Marlon Brando was introduced to a tailor or a pizza shop guy. I forget what he did. 
but he had a problem with somebody, with his daughter, with his family. And the tailor or the pizza guy told the godfather about the problem, and he said, I need your help. I need your help. My daughter is all I have. And the godfather listened to him and said, put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, I will take care of this. The godfather will fix this for you. You all remember the scene if you go back to the movie. I don't know if it was pizza or a tailor or whatever, but you remember the scene. And a pizza, the tailor man looks up at the godfather and says, oh, my God, God bless you. And Mullen Brando looked down at him and he says, but there will come a day that the Godfather will come to you need a favor. And the pizza man, the tailor, whatever he was, he looked up and he says, anything, anything I could do, I will do. I will do to make the Godfather happy. Mario Puzo, when he wrote that piece into his book, was identical to what the San and the Sanim are, except they are about 50,000 or more times effective. And what are we talking about with the San and the Sanim? Let's make believe that you're a Jew and you work at Bank of America. And you've got somebody in your office, a high-level person, who you now know is anti-Israel. I'm going to go light here. I'm going to talk about just Israel as a nation. But you know that this particular vice president anti-Israel, not because he said it, but because he says those poor Palestinians, they're being beaten and killed. They're being marginalized. They're put into barricades on their own property. And he does this impassioned conversation over a five-minute lunch one day to you, and you're a Jew, and you listen, and he's trying to convince you that your country, Israel, not your country, the United States, but your country, Israel, is disadvantaging Palestinians. If you think about it, you go home that night, make a phone call to the Godfather. You know that there's a local... Godfather. You make a phone call and you say, look, I got this Andy Toledandro. He's a vice president at Bank of America. He's got a high-level job, and he said these things to me. He said, we need to make, make, make this stop. We need to fix this. So Andy Toledandro made a big mistake that day. He gave his feelings out to an employee or a colleague, and the colleague makes a phone call. Well, the phone call goes through a network of connections. The Jew who works in the office who makes the phone call to some other Jew makes four or five phone calls, and before you know it, there's four or 5,000 phone calls being made specifically in the financial industry, specifically in New York City. That's how good this is. This is a network of what we call helpers, H-E-L-P-E-R-S. And within 24 hours, there's a cacophony. There's an orchestra of people declaring that 
Tony Calagrando, whatever his name was, is anti-Semitic, anti-Israel. It's no good. He's a lowlife because he said these things. It comes from every quarter, every place, every corner that you can possibly believe. It's incredible. And before you know it, he can't apologize. He's fired. He quits. This network of people, them, killed people. And what they have is a method. Natural causes. They don't go shoot somebody. They don't go rape. They don't go kidnap and violently. It's natural causes. They go see doctors. They get medication. They make sure it's a heart attack. They make sure it's a stroke. This is something I knew about years ago because it is in the protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion, 24 lectures given by Nanny Rothschild in 1897 in the world's, the first world Zionist Congress. And I looked at that and I said, how can I do that? How can I do that? How can I kill people? How can I do that with any, but you know, I've always wondered, I'm an old guy. And I, I, I'm, I, I'm, there's things that stay in your memory. I, I'm an old guy, but you can't forget certain things. How can somebody declare somebody be anti-Semitic in Chicago, and then literally minutes later it's on the news from France or from San Francisco or from Peru? How can they do that? How can that happen? <coughs> That's a network. That's an incredible telegraphic network. That was before the digital age. They could do that. It was instantaneous. A couple days, but still instantaneous. But when you read the, the protocols of the learned elders of Zion, that were in fact 24 lectures given by Natty Rothschild in 1897 in Basel, Switzerland, at the first World Zionist Congress on August 29th, you will find he brags about being able to do that. And when I read that years and years and years and years and years and years ago, I said, that, I, I, how do I do that? I, I know it's done because every time somebody winds up getting declared as an anti-Semite, it's done in hundreds of places simultaneously. There's a network out there. There's a trigger. There's a hair trigger that somebody pulls and it goes on. Well, talking to James Mel Rockefeller, he's going into all of this. He knew about this. And I'm saying, how, how did this happen? How did he come to know? He got to be real. I knew about it, but I knew about it from a different perspective. He's firsthand. He understood that the Jews and I hate to keep saying it like that, but it's true. The Jews, we can call them Israelis, and not all Jews are involved, which is one of the terrors of what I'm speaking about. The poor Jews, as a group of people, have been abandoned, if you will, by Rothschild and his Jews. And they are used as camouflage because anti-Semitism is the trigger that scares the sugar out of any politician that wants to go look further into this subject matter. The, 
the Federal Reserve. I was recently told by a friend who is a Jew, he said, I wish you'd stop talking about that. And I said, why? because it's anti-Semitic. I said, the hell it is. And it was one of the more interesting things. I've had this friend for a couple of years. And when he said that, I said, he knows more about this than I do. A Sayan, S-A-Y-A-N, is a helper. And Sayanim are helpers. When something happens throughout the world, they are controlled by the Mossad. Phone calls are made, and within minutes, you're either economically deprived, you're economically ravaged, and anybody that's watched what happened to you bites their tongue. To give you another example, we have Hollywood owned by the Jews, okay? It's not the Jews in general, but a select group of Jews. I get a call. I'm an actor. I've got a fairly good record. I make $2 million minimum when I get called to do a movie. I get a call. Somebody, somebody wants to have breakfast with me. So I said, sure, no problem. So I go, I meet him at the nice little deli. 9.30 in the morning, I sit down at the table, and before I know it, I'm surrounded with six other Jews. Because all the producers in Hollywood are Jews. Oh, hi, 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 I'm looking at this. This is a fantastic opportunity. My agent has got me this appointment. I got the call. I'm here for breakfast. Kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. The subject goes along, along. It's a one-and-a-half-hour breakfast. And someplace in the process... Can you believe these Palestinians are shooting rockets across the border in Israel last week? And I'm sitting there, and I, I have no idea what's taking place. I come back and I said, son of a bitches, why don't they just get rid of all those Palestinians? Why don't they get rid of them? Well, if I didn't know what I was saying, I am now assured a successful career in Hollywood. On the other side of that coin, I might come back and I might say, well, you know, you've got to take a look. These people owned the land. They had title to the land. They've been displaced by these people who have been imported out of Russia. All of the Jews are Russians, not Hebrews no blood in their veins that comes from the Hebrew of antiquity. They're all Russians. Now, maybe this actor, wannabe actor, up-and-coming actor, does know, doesn't know, whatever, but says something like that. They all sit, they have a nice bagel, they finish their coffee, and they leave, and there goes that career. So what you have in Hollywood is a self-sustaining group of people that support their employers. This has been going on throughout our nation for over a hundred years. This was Rothschild's plan. This was in his protocols that he read, the 24 protocols, the 24 lectures he read, he explained at the First World Zionist Congress in 1897. 
Mel Rockefeller and I danced around that subject, and he said, I'm surprised anyone knows as much about it as you do, and I don't even know who you are. I've come to trust you. Mel Rockefeller, if you download that PDF file, will give you dozens, if not more, I think there's probably 50 or 60 people in our current Congress who are bought and sold and have put acts of Congress in front of Congress for passage for us to devolve this country we call the United States. More and more as we become devolved, we become divided. Up until this past week, I used to say, well, that was a Democratic Party. Mm, true, but the Democratic Party was taken over by these people decades ago. Republicans are being taken over, and we're almost complete. And when you read this PDF file, you're going to find he's a firm believer. Trump is already in their camp. Breaks my heart. I would still be a Trump supporter, regardless, because if Trump is going over, he's got his daughter, who has been seized upon by Jared Kushner, which is what now Rockefeller firmly believes anyhow. He said, you don't have to be an idiot. This woman is beautiful. Jared Kushner just got the assignment. Because in the protocols that were given in 1897, Rothschild talks about marrying into the families of the barons. And he uses the word baron, which is coincidentally Trump's grandchild's name. They encourage marriage into those families so they can be deterred. They can be re-steered, if you will. Now, Jared Kushner, years and years ago, going into the Trump camp, if you will, it was a good bet that Trump would eventually make a move to become president. He used to speak about it as far back as 20 years ago. Jared Kushner is pulling more strings than you and I could imagine not to the advantage of this nation, but using the military of this nation to the advantage of the greater state of Israel. So we live in very interesting times. I changed tonight from what I was going to do, which was from the First World Zionist Congress up to today. I've kind of modified it quite a bit. The nature of the information, which is in this PDF file, and I really... I suggest everybody go and download it. It is extremely important. And um, what you will not find there is the mention of the American group that Mel Rockefeller gave me some insight to. So what he did is he gave me hope today. He said, it's not at the point where I can tell you we are going to survive, we're going to be victorious or otherwise. I can only tell you that we're there and we are being successful on a daily basis, doing what we're doing, and hopefully we will have some kind of productive uh, developments over this next 10 years. We as a nation have already been taken down by Israel, and he acknowledged that. But it's been done quietly. Uh, in a, in a strange way, Obama was put into office by David Axelrod, an Israeli citizen. 
and by his second term, it appeared that Obama was recognizing that he was being requested to do things that were really anti-American. Obama, last person I would be patting on the back, Obama appeared to be doing things that were pro-American and not in favor of what he was being told to do by his Israeli handler, who, who was, in fact, David Axelrod. Uh, David Axelrod, we would declare him to be a talent scout. His job was to find a candidate for president, which he did in 1993 as a community worker with Obama. Obama had a number of elements, which is he's black, he's really got a Muslim family background, regardless of whatever church he went to, and um, he was an orator. He's extremely educated and well-spoken, regardless of the fact that he and his wife were both disbarred. Well, so was the Hillary and I think Bill Clinton, too. But Obama appears to have come around in his second term and not been so compliant to David Axelrod and Rahm Emanuel's requirements. Tom Emanuel was chief of staff and then went to Obama, I guess it was the first year in office, and said, I want a two-year leave of absence. And he wound up in Israel. He said he wanted to join the military. He did. He joined the Israeli military. I think it was uh, the second year of the Obama administration. And he and his brother, Ron Emanuel and Ezekiel Emanuel, and a number, a number, a large number of Israeli lawyers wrote Obamacare which is designed as a performance bond to take this nation down further into debt, into debt, into debt, into and more debt. The debt is the weapon that Rothschild uses. In this particular case, he's not lending us money. We're just issuing more Federal Reserve notes. That's a larger story that could go on for two hours. But we live in very uncertain times. We live in very difficult times. I wish I had a great ending to this to tell you everything was going to be okay. I do not. I can only urge everybody, take that 106-page piece and go through it. It's not going to be, it, it, actually, it's going to be easier than, than it might ordinarily sound like it is. Um, but you will have a completely different perspective of what we are, who we are as a nation. We have been under the control of the Israeli government, more importantly, the Israeli creator, Rothschild family for the purpose of using our military, which is what he always did in Europe back in the 17 and the 1800s. He would pit one military against another. He would never have his own military. Now they do. They have their own military in Israel. It's a very powerful military, probably the second or the third most powerful in the world, but they don't even want people to know that. So I'll leave the floor open to questions. Right. Anyone out there? Comment or question? Star six your phone. Or that right now. Now, Pat, when you opened yes. your computer or came back to your screen, did it segue with something that you had already had open in your research? Because it sounds no. like this is a content. Okay. No, it did not. It did not. It was there. And I'm looking at it, and as I would normally, I'd have maybe six or seven screens open. I began reading it, and I'm saying, wait a minute, what the, I didn't, and I said, I didn't write this, but this sounds like me. And after a few, I started, I go into, I went to the home page, and I said, this is something I put on my computer. 
and uh, one thing went to another. So through Sunday, which was a big day, as I said to you, it was a celebration for myself and my family, um, and then Monday and then Tuesday. And I've been at work all week. I haven't been able to do much work. I've been reading this website. So I had one of my people download the entire website, at least most of, I should say half the website, and that's what you have in PDF form. So if you have any people that would like to see it or you want to take a look at it, download it, read it. Yep. If anyone would like this file, if anyone would like this file, you have my email address. What's the website? The Hidden Tax on humanity. And tax on humanity, okay. You'll find it. Oh, there it is. <laughs> What's that? I, I have oh, a question. Sorry. I have a question. This is Al Jordan. Are we talking about Israel the nation or Israel the people? First of all, let's let's see if I can correct you there, Al. Yeah. There is no such thing. As Israel the people they don't exist and I was shocked at that um, back in 2005 in August of 05 I stopped doing all of my research because I'm not anti-semitic and everything I came up was hate you hate you hate you hate you I don't hate anybody well I I'm an equal opportunity hater if you're an Italian you screwed me screw the guineas if you're an Irishman the goddamn you know, I, I will be equal opportunity, but I'm not anti-Semitic. I've had businesses and I've had partners. I had businesses and taught by my clients who were Jews. I love them. They're great. But in, in uh, August of 2005, I had reached a point in time where everything I came up with was a Jew, old Jew, a dead Jew, a young Jew, uh, um, an archived Jew, a historical Jew, and a good Jew, a bad Jew, everything was coming up Jews. I'm saying, wait a minute, I'm not anti-Semitic. Why is this happening? So it was sometime in mid-August of 05, I said, no more. I'm going to research one word, and I researched the word Jew. What an experience. Holy shit. Right. I, I went through until February of 06. It was 05 when I did that. It was February, I got to be careful my dates because those six was when I stopped. My wife said one morning, and I think it was Ash Wednesday, she says, come on, we're going to Mass. I said, I don't want to go to Mass. I don't want to go to Mass. I, I, I'm not, you know. I'm yeah, not going to Mass. Yeah. I said, well, it's a, it's a half an hour. All right, I'll go. So, go to church. My brain is working on my research all the time. This is 06. And I'm just blindly watching the good priest, and he's going on. He does the homily. He gets up. He does the, he does the, the gospel, and he does the homily. And I'm listening to him, and my brain is in the back, and it's going on my other subject. And I'm listening to him, and he's saying, and the Hebrews are those the teacher, and Jesus and the good engine, and the Jews and the and the Hebrews and the Jews and the Hebrews and the Jews. All of a sudden, I'm saying to myself, holy shit, what did this man just do for me? So mass was over. It's a 30-minute deal. at 7.30. My wife is headed out the front door, and I said, i, 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 I got to go back to that. I'm going to go back and see the, the priest, uh, Father Joe in the sacristy. And she looked. She knew the subject. She said, leave it alone, will you? Please stop. I said, no, I can't. I can't. I just can't. 
I go in the back and I, I get in the sacristy and there is the priest. He's six foot four. He's a big Irish. He's got to be 300 pounds. He's a Franciscan. He's taken his cape off. He's got the sandals on. I'm looking at those. And I'm not short, but I'm a lot shorter than he is. And there's a woman putting the hosts and the wine away. I can feel her presence. We all have different intuitive senses. And some right. of our intuitive senses travel two feet away from our brain. Other people can go into a room and pick up the intuition intuitively from 30 or 40 feet away. You know, it's a different thing. Everybody has different senses. Right. So I'm feeling this woman. She's in the background, and I'm looking at the priest, and he says, can I help you? I said, yeah. I said, Father, I said, I- I'm here, and my name is Patrick, and I uh, have a question, and uh, it's a theological question. He looks at me and he says, wow, he says, you're in the right place. He says, I'm the theological scholar for Tampa. I said, really? He said, yeah. Uh, He said, what's your question? I said, well, when we take a look at things in the history of the the church, we see that Jesus was born as a Hebrew. He said, yeah. I said, specifically, there were many different sects of Hebrews, Sadducees, the Maccabees, the Pharisees. He said, yes. I said, Jesus was specifically a Pharisee. And he looks down at me, and I could hear, I could feel this woman listening. And the priest looks down, he said, yes. I said, Jesus was a Pharisee. He said, yes, he was. I said, when we go to Webster's, we look up the word Pharisee, we find it a bunch of different meanings, but at the bottom we find hypocrite. Do as I say, not as I do. Like the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of priests, not rabbis, but priests at right. the time of Christ. Right. And they were the most vile, gruesome, filthy group of people taking advantage of their high position that you could ever find in any church, God forbid, a government. I said they were terrible. He said, yes, that's true. He said, what's your question? I said, well, my question is as follows. If Jesus Christ was born as a Hebrew, and the word Jew was not in the lexicon of any language of the world until about 450, 470 A.D. after Jesus' death, can you please tell me where, when, why, or where, when, how, and why the Hebrews became known as the Jews. Well, six foot four, six foot three, six foot five, Father Joe looks down at me, didn't miss a beat, and he starts off, he says, well, you know, at that time in history, the rabbis went out, I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, what's the matter? And I'm still listening. I can feel this woman thinking in the back of this sacristy. And I said, there weren't any rabbis at the time of Christ. They were all priests. Right. He looks at me and he says, oh, yes, you're right about that. And I'm thinking, oh, you're the theological scholar for the Archdiocese of Tampa. Ho, ho, ho. I said, you didn't know there weren't any rabbis at the time of Christ. They were all priests. So he says, you're right, you're right, you're correct. He says, and he launches into, well, they got in their donkeys and they traveled and they went and they went from community to community and they taught and they had lessons and they did this and this and this. And he went on for about 90 seconds and he finished in the big flourish. He said, oh, and there, 
Like, and that's why the Hebrews became known as the Jews. And I looked at him, and he stood there above me, looking down at me. And he's, he's saying, is that okay? And I'm looking up at him, and I said, you know, it's a good thing that you and I are both Irish. His, 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 his green changed. He says, why? I said, because it would take one Irishman to, to disassemble a bunch of stuff like you just did and expect somebody to believe it if they were another Irishman. I said, that's a bunch of bullshit you just gave me. And I did say that. And he smiled. And I, I could hear the woman in the back of the sacristy snickering. And he said, wasn't that obvious? I said, Father Joe, I said it was as obvious as a fart in a two-man elevator. And, and she started breaking out laughing, and he snickered again a little bit more. I said, you know, I said, I really would love an answer to that question. And uh, my wife and I will take you to Guadalupe's, because I know you like Mexican food. We'll take you and Father Giovanni down in another parish that we used, and we will be glad to take you for a Mexican feast, if you can give me an answer to that question. I was in 2000, I was in February of 2006, right. and he says, okay. Well, I marched out of church that day, and I was light-footed, as happy as a clam, because I had solved one of my really big problems What's going on? How did the Jews come to be when, in fact, Jesus Christ was a Hebrew? Well, it wasn't shortly thereafter that I find a book that was written by a tenured professor of history at University of Tel Aviv in 2008. So this is about two years later. And he wrote the book in Hebrew. That was his first volume. Mm-hmm. He lived in Paris, even though he taught in Tel Aviv. He had his main residence in Paris. His name is Shlomo Sand. And Shlomo converted the book, translated the book to English in October of 2008, which was, what was that, two years after I had this event. Because when I left church that morning, I was exalted, but at the same time, I said, you know, I don't have an education, so who's going to buy this shit? Who am I going to tell this and have them believe it? And two years later, in September of 08, Shlomo, I think it was 08, might have been 09, but 08, he has the book translated from, uh, it was then in Hebrew and in French. He had it in two languages, and he had it translated to English. It's, It's now the most translated book on this subject in the world, by the way, here, 14 years, 13 years later. The name of the book is the invention of the Jewish people. What are we talking about here? There are no the people. These people were in the mix of gypsies. They came from Khazaria. King Yuan was the king of Khazaria, and in the 400s AD, after the death of Christ, he said, I'm ruling over the most disgusting group of people in the world. I need to give them a basis of faith. He interviewed Islam. He interviewed Christianity. He interviewed Phariasism. Not Judaism, Phariasism, which were the Pharisees. It was the sect. And when you look in Webster's, by the way, and you see Pharisee, Pharisee does give you a meaning, and it says hypocrite. Do as I say, not as I do, if I didn't give you that before. 
So what we've got with the Jews, and this doesn't, by the way, this doesn't make them bad people. They just happen to be Russians, and they're not connected to the Hebrews of antiquity. No matter what a Rothschild or any right. Jew in the world wants to tell you, they're not connected. They stole that country, and that's why these people are so freaking tenacious. They know they owned that land. Right. Nobody from Russia owned that land. There is no claim that can be made on that land, even if these people were the Hebrews of antiquity. You can't do that. It doesn't go in today's society. So what happened is there was a migration that began in the late 1800s, and then in 1917, with the beginning of the migration, with the Balfour Declaration, which was forced out of Sir Arthur Balfour by a Rothschild, Walter Rothschild at the time, it opened the door for larger migration from Russia and from Hungary and Poland into what was called then Palestine. And that has led to all of the problems, most of the problems, I can't say all, but probably 90% or better, that we have in this world. Right. That's right. where we live today. We live in a world of division called, caused by a very organized group of people under Rothschild. There came a time that Rothschild said, I need my own country, and that's how Israel came to be. They conjured up a story, and they built it, and they got Walter, uh, Walter Rothschild, got Sir Arthur Balfour to uh, do the Balfour Declaration and say to the land of Palestine, we will let the Jews take this property as long as they do not suffer or cause suffering to the indigenous population, which is the most incredible thing, because these people have been killed, murdered, isolated, done terrible things to. I don't like Muslims. I don't like Islam, but I don't know if it's because I've been given a lot of propaganda bullshit by Israelis controlling my press, or if I really don't like them. I don't know if they disadvantage women and do the terrible things they allegedly do, but I don't like them. I think they're a cult, and I think Muhammad was a charismatic, schizophrenic pedophile. Personally, that's what I think about them. But on the, on the surface, this whole thing is, is unbelievable that we as an integrated, integrated, intelligent, civilized uh, group of nations over the course of the past hundred years fell for this slop, this bullshit. And that's where we find ourselves today. And in the process, they're taking over my country. I don't like that. Okay. Um, well, that's my answer I, Okay, here's, here's another uh, comment. I, I, I speak with a lot of Jewish people, and they think that Catholics are really confused Jews because they believe that it's just, just another sect of the, of the Jewish faith, that Catholicism is nothing more than um, uh, rituals surrounding Judaism. And um, they honestly believe that. And they cannot understand why why the Catholic Church has not declared itself just another sect of the Jewish faith. And they will say that to you to your face. And uh, and when you think about it, you see the Pope wearing a yarmulke, you see all the cards wearing yarmulkes, all of the all of the books that are, are written by Jews, you know everything. What where's the where's the confusion? They say the confusion is the confusion of people's minds who want to be a separate sect of Judaism decided to call it. The Catholic Church. What's your comment about that? That's an easy one. Come on. 
That's so easy. Give me one of those people. I'll crush them. Give me two. <laughs> Give me 22. Give me 122. I will crush them inside of three minutes. Okay. I already gave you the answer. Okay. The word Jew didn't exist until 460 A.D. Got it. The word before that was Hebrew. Right. Jesus Christ was born as a Hebrew. Of course. So the Catholic Church was a redirection of the Hebraic faith because Right. The Hebrews were being taken over by a bad philosophy, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the ones that inculcated and began the Jews back in 46490 A.D. The Jews didn't exist at the time of the life of Christ. Sure. So what you're hearing is a bunch of bullshit from a bunch of people that don't want anyone to know, and what they do is what's called sophic arguments. It's right. a distraction. It's a right. conversation. Well, what do you think, Senator? Is there really any truth to the fact that so-and-so did this and did that? Well, you know, the reality is the hurricane down in Louisiana last week did a lot of damage. Well, oh, wait a second, Senator. I, I was talking to you about somebody else. Well, the hurricane in Louisiana was a really important issue. That's all that is. It's called sophistry. It's a bunch right. of bullshit. I've done this and had this argument and discussion with Jews over the years. Not bad people, but they try to defend the best they can. And by the way, I've probably done I don't know, no less than 11 occasions in the last eight, nine years with Jews who were friends. I baked them. I baked them into, well, I was... Well, Jesus, Patrick, that was pretty anti That was an anti-Semitic remark you just made. And I do. I bake them on purpose. And I look back at... I remember one guy, Stevie, about three years ago. Stevie is in the car with me in my car, and we had just done something good for Stevie. Right. And I'm saying, you know, maybe I should take a chance here. And I took the chance. And Stevie rose to the occasion like he was expected to. He said... You know, Patrick, that, that was an anti-Semitic remark. And I looked at him and I said, whoa, 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 wait a second, Stevie, What's, what do you mean anti-Semitic? He says, anti-Semitic, it's, it's, it's horrible, it hurts me. I said, how can it yeah. hurt you? I said, Semitic means somebody that speaks one of the five Aramaic languages and or Hebrew. Right. Stevie, do you speak Hebrew? He says, well, my family did a little bit. I said, where are your family from? Where's your family from? It's from Russia, right? And I didn't wait for him to give me an answer. And he looked at me and he said, oh, yeah. I said, Jews are not from Israel or what would we call Palestine or Judea. You are all from Russia. You're from Russia before Russia was Russia. And I have never in my earlier years when I knew Jews, I had partners as Jews, I would never have been able to do that without incurring a tremendous argument. And Stevie right. looked at me, and you know what Stevie did? Stevie's eyes went to his crotch. Right. He knew damn well I knew what he knew, and he didn't want to tell me anymore. So right. your argument uh, that you've just given me or that somebody may have given you is absolute yeah. bullshit, okay. as we would say in the bunks of the 1950s. <laughs> Most of all the, all the Jewish people that I know are from Ukraine. 
forget which if it's the new name of Gazaria. Yeah, no, not that's not the new name. That's the name from where they came. King Bulan was there in the four hundreds and they were the most despicable group of people he ruled over. They'd fuck their uh, excuse my French. They would do things to their children, to their daughters and cousins. They were despicable. They would steal from each other. They were horrible people. And he was their king, and there was no order. They would intercept uh, uh, people traveling across their borders. They would raid. They would steal and pillage. And he says, oh, my God, I need to fix this. That's when he interviewed Christianity. He interviewed Islam, and he interviewed the Pharisees perspective. And he said, you know, pariahism is pretty near close to what we are, but it gives them a little better organization. So he, he picked pariahism, which eventually became Judaic, or Judaic, Judaism, if you want. That is where the Jew came from. And that was Khazaria before, before Russia was Russia. Russia wasn't even around. The Jew, the Jew hit, the Jew hijacked, Rothschild hijacked Christianity. If you go to the titular, most people won't know what the titular is. It's not a part of the body. It's a sign on the top of the crucified Christ. It's the sign on top of the cross. I N R I. I adore him. Not enough. Isis, which was I for Jesus. Mm-hmm. I was the first letter in Roman. Right. So I N N as in Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Right. R for Rex. R E X. Now today you and I would say Rex is king. No. Right. At the time of Christ's death. In Latin, R was ruler. I-N-R for ruler. And Rex did not mean king until many centuries later when the Greeks basically infiltrated and began to use a different language besides Latin. And I, I-N-R-I, Jesus of Nazareth, ruler of Iodorum, which was Judea. Judea was the land was the land occupied and run by and governed by Romans, not Jews. So you had then, you had Jesus of Nazareth, ruler of Iodorum, and that was a sarcastic statement given by Pontius Pilate to put on the cross of the man that the Sanhedrin says, you need to crucify him because he was a threat to their authority. He wanted to straighten the lives out of Hebrews. He came here, he came here to earth to redirect what was happening to the Hebrews who were being misdirected into a materialistic way of life. He threw the moneylenders out of the court. Guess who the moneylenders were? The eventual Jews in the history of man. They were the Pharisees. They were the ones, the money changers. They weren't the, they called them money they changers. Call them money. They were the lenders. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, well, I, I can go off on tangent after tangent after tangent. I don't want to bore you with that. But that's, 
An answer that's the best answer I can give you that's a, a bullshit statement that somebody has given you as an argument. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out the demarc between Hebrews and Jews, which is blurred by the way people think about. It's not blurred, and it should never be blurred. They're distinctly yeah. different entities. Got it. And, and, and where you have a blurring is between Jews and gypsies. Gypsies are still alive, the Romani. They're different. Right. Rothschild has run study after study after study. And if you research enough, you'll find, oh, the blood of the Jew goes all the way back to the Palestinian. Bullshit. Guess who the Palestinians are today? The Palestinians today are the Hebrews of antiquity that were forced converted to Islam over the last thousand years. Right. Palestinians were the original Hebrews. And the landowners, by the way, well, actually, they were never the landowners. They, they were like sharecroppers. The land, the land was owned by people who were Arabs, and they moved out of Palestine. They moved out of Palestine, and they got paid on a monthly basis by the Palestinians who farmed the land, and they'd sharecrop their, their, prop, their product, if you will. Um, the, the term that could be used very carefully but very safely is that the Palestinians are the niggers of the Middle East. Bad word, nigger. But one that's used. And the Irish, the Irish are the, the niggers of Europe. We worked for the British crown. No, the Irish have always been known quietly, discreetly, as the niggers of Europe. We never really owned the land. We worked somebody else's land all the time. Just like the Palestinians, but there was a three-day there was a three-day business plan. Okay, if you go back from 1917 from the Balfour Declaration, and you look now that Rothschild's been successful, he's got a formal declaration from the British Crown, the British Mandate, if you will, that they are able to take part of Palestine, and and it'll be theirs. But it had to be done in a way that they never did. They always did it differently. That was in 1917. 1917 forward, there was a three-day business plan. The Ergun and the Dersturngang, two names, very important names, came out of Germany in the 1917-1920 period of time. The Dersturngang and the Ergun were terrorist organizations. They were perfected terrorist organizations before the word terrorist was ever in the vocabulary of most lexicons of the world. The two of them combined eventually and became known as the Mossad. Okay? So the Mossad is made up of the Gang and the Ergun. And in the 1920s forward, the Gang and the Ergun would get two or three hundred Jewish Israelis, if you will, Russians, and they get them up at three o'clock in the morning and they get them all prepared and armed and they raid a 200 person, 300 person Palestinian village. They'd shoot, they'd kill, not all, just to scare. They'd rape, God forbid you had a daughter, she was gonna get raped, and they'd pillage. And the two or 300 Palestinians in that village from the 1920s forward would go screaming out of their village and they'd be saying, the Jews are coming, the Jews are, and they'd be going to other villages. Other villages would be abandoning those villages. That was day one of a business model. 
Rothschild's business model in day one. Day two. Right. Day two, the bulldozers would come in and they would destroy the village. They would level every living place, every home that there was. There was I remember nothing that. To, there was nothing the Palestinians could come back to. Right. Day three. Right. Day three, the bulldozers would turn around and destroy what we would call today the clerk of courts. What was in All the, the clerk of courts? All the records of who owned the land. So now you had land that was over a thousand years in the possession of a of a an Arab family, and their records that they kept in a file drawer that never existed, but in an envelope or on a piece of paper, their records were long turned to dust. They were complacent and trusted the records in the provinces of courts. So the third day of the business model, the business plan, Rothschild's business plan, in the 1920s, they destroyed the clerk of courts and all the records. Going forward of that, all of that land would be captured and it would be declared owned by the National Jewish Trust. No land in Israel today is owned by an individual. It's owned by the National Jewish Trust. Yet we are so bought, owned, and sold out that we sit here in our country and call Israel the democracy of the Middle East. There's no bigger bunch of bullshit that could ever exist. There's nothing about Israel that makes it a democracy. It's a socialist convenience on its way to communism, which we don't want to talk too much about, because communism is Rothschild's best friend. That's something we we have not talked about. I could do a I can do a whole show on that. That would be an invitation from Fred. But the fact of the matter is, all of the land in the 1920s, prior to 1947, when Resolution 181 was finally passed by Cardinal Spellman's vote and allowance to have happen in the United Nations in May of 1947, Resolution 181 turned Palestine into Israel. And even today, they're still looking for formal acceptance. I have to give great credit whether the Palestinians are, in fact, Muslims or not. They have been tenacious. And when we look around the landscape today, I asked the question when I started this little diatribe, where are the Hebrews of antiquity? The Hebrews of antiquity are the Palestinians of today. But over 2,000 years, they've been forced converted into Islam. Stupid but they did it. The Hebraic right. faith was on its way to becoming dinosaurs at the time of Christ. The story right. about the, the appearance of Christ and what Christ did is a bigger story, a very interesting story. I won't do that tonight either. I could do that on another show. But Jesus Christ's appearance and what he accomplished during his 33 years is fascinating. And it is more explained in a way that the human brain can logically understand it than anything we've ever been told through our, our faiths, our Christian faiths. The Jews have perverted everything that we have come to understand to be our lives. And if we continue to allow them the positions of power, that their money, their accumulation of that, that 
golden calf that they shaped at the bottom of Mount at Mount Zion that Moses went up into for 40 days. If we allow them to control our lives through the accumulation of gold, we're in deep shit and we're finished. And to that, I'd say Mel Rockefeller, James Mel Rockefeller, may have something going with his 32 or 3,500 people that are inside our government moving towards the, the destruction of this force. So I have no idea what the specifics of that is. I just know that the man spoke with great authority and great confidence when I spoke with him today. Um, thank you for your explanation. I appreciate it. Uh, that, to it. Wait a minute. Did you speak to did you speak with Mel or James? What's that? Did I hear you say you spoke with him? Yes, I spoke with him. Finally got to him. Oh. He lives up. He lives oh. up in Virginia. Oh my God! Wow. I bet you guys had a lot to share. Wow. Well, there were limits to it. There were limits to it. I, I spoke yesterday. There was a Leroy Halsey, who is the professor of materials out at Fairbanks University in Alaska. And he just no. finished in October last year. Do, do you know who I'm talking about, Fred? No, I don't. Leroy Halsey is a, uh, an engineer, and he was hired by Richard Gage, from A&E, Architects and Engineers, on the 9-11 issue, which, by the way, coincidentally, tomorrow is 9-11. But I spoke with him uh, yesterday for probably 45 minutes, and I have to get some email to him, too. Uh, He's retired, and um, he was shocked. He knows all of the material issues as to why Building 7 collapsed. But he knows so little about how the towers collapsed, and he knows nothing about the. Um, um, I'm looking for a, a series of words. He knows nothing about the disintegration of the steel columns, but he also knew nothing about what Solomon Brothers does with United States debt, or I should say, did, because Solomon Brothers is no longer in formal existence, it is still around informally, buried into the bowels of, I think it's Morgan Wealth Management, J.P. Morgan Wealth Management, which is buried into the the bowels of Citigroup, which is a bank that's essentially always been under the control of the Rothschild family. So in our conversation, he he went silent on me, and he acknowledged that it appears, he doesn't know until he does his own research, but he says, it appears you know a hell of a lot more about why 9-11 and the buildings collapsed than even my materials engineering research could do, because he did a four-year shift for Richard Gage at a uh, Architects and Engineers. I think you had Richard Gage on the show one time, didn't you? Yeah, we did, many years ago, yep. Yep. So I, I, have, been, I have been very busy recently. Uh, I'm slightly encouraged with my conversation today with Mel Rockefeller. Um, He appears to have something going that may, in fact, reverse what's going on. Um, It is 10.30 right now, so um, I started at 9, an hour and a half. I was going to do 45 minutes. I 
I'm going to do a little bit more on Lincoln. You don't want me to do anything on Lincoln, do you? Not tonight. <laughs> okay, done. But look, uh, uh, one final uh, call. Anybody out there, one final comment or question? Yeah, Sam. Yeah, I got a question. Hey, Patrick, when's World War III going to come around? I can only give you silence. I don't know. Well, who's it going to be against? Or who's going to instigate it? Well, the instigation has technically begun. We had Dr. Charles Lieber, a scientist from Harvard, who was working quietly at the Wuhan virus lab, virology lab, and uh, on the 28th of January, he was arrested at JFK. And he was arrested because he had not revealed to Harvard, his employer, that he was taking 50 grand a month from the Communist Chinese Party working on their viruses over there. And that was the 28th of January. And that was the day that Trump made the decision to shut the borders. And on the 31st of January, Trump shut the borders between communist China and the United States. It is my, is my uh, uh, let's say, my uh, theory that since Rothschild engages only in false flag wars, meaning they're never real wars between the people, they've always been started by Rothschild operatives, I'm of the mind that Mr. Charles Lieber, short for Lieberman, managed to disperse the Wuhan virus, COVID-19 virus, in Wuhan, knowing that it would be out of control within a short period of time. And when he came back and was arrested at JFK Airport on January 28th, within three days, we shut the borders. I have a feeling that Mr. Trump knew more about this than uh, most of us. And I don't know if Mr. Trump knows the truth or if he was just giving what would be called a tip, not the tip of what was really done. So a false flag war could be en route or on process, in process, between China and the United States today. But I think that's going to be held back, if not never happened. And I also anticipate that somewhere in this next 12 months, if Mr. Trump is reelected, and I think he will, that we will take the 2.7 or $3 trillion that we technically owe China and we will diminish that by 90% because of what we have issued into new currency because of this pandemic into the United States as a payback because we are the, we're the, we're the, we're the debtor to China who is the creditor. And that gets to be a little more complex, not, more, not really complex, in understanding how we come to owe close to 3 trillion U.S. dollars to China. That's an interesting story in how all of that so-called money is, is being held by China against the benefit or against uh, our nation. So if the declaration comes out of our country that it's cost us $3 trillion in damage because of Chinese release of a virus, and we want to take that back as a credit, and we have the authority to do so unilaterally, that could lead to what you've just outlined, and I don't think it will. I think it will be passively ex accepted. But there are other things going on that would cause a third world war, and I'm not so sure it would be a world war. It would be over very quickly, and it would be between the United States and whoever else wanted to come against us. I think we would easily win. Yeah. 
Uh, hey, Patrick, how come we're anti-Russian all the time? We are not. I know, but the media says Russia's doing this, Russia's had the election, now they're interfering with the election again. You know, we don't want to say Russia did this, Russia did that. Well, why is this going on? Russia saved our ass in the revolution, uh, the, the uh, 1776 revolution against the crown. Yeah. Russia saved Russia saved Abraham Lincoln's Northern Union. Right, the Civil War, yeah. And Russia is there again for us. This is a belief. I could be 180 degrees out. Russia is there again for us. And the neocons, the Jews that are in place in our government to run things, are making sure that we do our best, or they, our, our government does its best to stay away from Russia. They do not want Russia on a personal level with Trump. Now, if you read Mel Rockefeller's work, he's going to tell you Trump is under the influence of all of these Jews, not the least of which is his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. But I analogize again, and I go back to Lincoln, and I won't go into the depth of that, but the potential for Lincoln to have been in Rothschild's pocket is always also there, but the results are what we all know, and that is he won the war and brought our nation together. And that's because Lincoln was not a traitor. And I don't believe Trump is or will be a traitor. Trump just needs to know how he's being manipulated. I think he knows a good deal more about it than the people around him believe he does. With that, I leave you be. All right. Hey, Patrick, thank you so much for following up with us uh thank you do you think you think there's any chance that uh el rockefeller would grace himself on our show even if it's uh just for a, a very short hello goodbye i don't know he's he's unemotional and uh, a very level-headed man more than you would understand reading some of his work is not too much emotion in his work uh, I could ask him. Um, I'm not optimistic that he would say okay. He's not somebody looking for the limelight. He's looking. Sure. He's looking more to be an assist for our nation's welfare. And I have great respect for him in the conversations I've had with him. I've spoken to him on three separate occasions, and um, I don't believe he would jump at the opportunity, but he might be persuaded. Yeah, well, you don't have to ask him now. Just, uh, just in the back of uh, of your mind, if if you sense that there's an opportunity that he wants to get something off and out there in in, in a recorded, uh, moderated format, we, we would love to be very welcome out on our show. Okay. Well, everybody, thank you very much for the forum and for the opportunity. Um, I'm sorry I slipped and used that one bad word on occasion. I used a couple oh, others, no. but they're not that bad. But. All right. Well, uh, love your prediction for Trump. Uh, let's all keep the prayers going in that regard, everyone. Uh, hope everyone is safe. Didi, please stay safe up there. I hope the fires uh, stay away, far away, and, and, and 
they made us move move on and and uh, be done with. Thanks, Fred. Yeah. Are you, Thank are you, you Patrick. In, 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 on my pleasure. Huh? Are you in any are you in any threatened situation, Dee with the fires? Oh no, not at all. The fire the fires in Washington are east of here. The fires that are causing all the smoke and damage are just south of me. Not not that far, but the Columbia River's in between here and there. <laughs> right. So they're worried about it jumping uh, the river. It could because, you know, these little cinder balls, they come flying, I guess. They've caused all kinds of problems down in Ashland, Oregon. They burnt, blew up a gas station. A Dairy Queen was started. The Home Depot burnt. Uh, I don't know, you know, other than advanced weaponry, why those things would all go off at the same time, but, uh, yeah. you know, oh, no, I'm not in danger. I'm not in danger here. Just the smoke and the, the 50 and a mile an hour winds completely trashed my garden. Everything <laughs> went from flowers to dried flowers. <laughs> so they, they were in danger. I, I saved some long stem roses. I managed to cut those down cause they were getting they hadn't budded, but they were getting beat up. Yeah, the winds were just fierce. It was really weird. And it smells like a bonfire out there. It smells like you're really close to it, even from here. But it's supposed to clear, hopefully, the smoke. Well, who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> well, with any luck, it may have burned up all those mail-in ballots. <laughs> Yeah, well, I hope I hope the 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 riots stay quiet because now they've called out Portland police to go help with the fires and you know all that stuff. So boy, I tell you, they must be tired by now. I don't want to go back on subject again, but I hope everybody, anybody that happens to be listening, I hope you understand how they protect a B-52 plane that's been in the air since the 1950s. That's one of our big strategic bombers and. Uh, missiles were always uh, planned to be used to bring that bomber down. And they were heat-seeking missiles. And the B-52, when I was in the Air Force, had a device called CHAF, C-H-A-F-F. And CHAF were strips of aluminum that were in large quantity on the plane. And if a plane was, was in fear of being attacked by a, by a missile, you, they would dispense this CHAF in large volumes at the appropriate time, and the missile, the heat-seeking missile, would run off after these thousands of pieces of aluminum foil would now disperse out around the plane as the plane was doing its five or 600 miles an hour. That chaff was really wonderful. And when we talk about these riots, we talk about how are they so coordinated? How are the, who's paying these people? Well, we know that George Soros is out there someplace. Well, George Soros isn't just out there someplace. He's funding this through a, uh, an enterprise called Open Sources Foundation. Yeah, sure, it's yeah. Headed, it's headed by an, a, a handsome, very, very intelligent black man who's a communist. Very good friend. His friend happens to be mayor of New York, which is de Blasio, Comrade de Blasio, as we call him. Um, but George Soros dropped $17 billion into this thing about a year ago, last October of 18. And because uh, George is 90, he knows he's going to die. He's declaring he's anti-Semitic, even though he's a Jew. He's a Greek Jew. And he's declaring he doesn't like Israel, even though we know better than that. George Soros is chaff. He's Rothschild's chaff. George Soros is at the front 
he's willing to be discovered doing what he's doing. Yeah. Strength from, from Rothschild. But mm-hmm. I think I'd throw that in here at the tail end because it fits your geography up there. Yeah, no, that doesn't surprise any of us, I don't think. But yeah, he's a badass. I, I will not miss him when he's gone. He may be playing the role of the devil, but uh, I don't, I'm not so sure it's a role. <laughs> well, once, he's, anyway. yeah, once, once he's gone, what was his province before will be in the hands of even a more ruthless, possibly more intelligent individual. The only thing that individual won't have is the Navy won't have is the ability to continue to earn large sums of money. Now, you have to understand George Soros made his money on currency exchanges. Mm-hmm. Rothschild makes his money on currency exchanges. So Rothschild made money. George Soros was making money. George Soros filled a big, big spot. He'll be missed, but we have to be concerned about who replaces him. Yeah, well, at least in some other day. Right now, I think that it's been a great call, and I know Fred has to get home, and Steve has to get up really early, and I'm sure that you have got other things to do as well. So thank you again for coming on with us. We always enjoy it. My pleasure, guys. Take care. Stay well. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Steve. Okay, God bless. Thanks. See you, buddy. Okay. Take care, guys. Have a great day. Take care. We do. Be safe. A-M, American Underground Network.